Welcome to Reason for Hope. My name is Adrian, and I'm in studio live streaming from our campus in Tucson, Arizona, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson, in studio with our senior pastor, Scott Richards. Hey, everybody. We're so glad to be here, and Scott, it's really great to be in studio with you again. I love Mondays because I get you all to myself, which is awesome. <laughs> yeah, well, that in our audience. That, <laughs> that in yeah. our audience, yeah. yep. I have to share a little bit. Uh, yeah. I can't just ask all my own questions, yeah. but uh, <laughs> it is really a blessing to have an opportunity to have open dialogue, ask questions, the hard questions about the historic Christian faith, about whether faith is reasonable, how to apply Scripture to your life, how to interpret and really walk with God in a way that would be faithful to Him. We all are in different uh, levels in our pursuit of truth and our walks with our Creator. And so wherever you may be, uh, wherever you might be in your faith or in your quest for truth, and we're hoping that you are on a quest for truth because uh, that's kind of the most important thing is if we go through life believing lies, then we will pretty much have uh, <laughs> walked through life blind. So I really encourage you to take advantage of this time. We do this every Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. Again, we're live streaming from Tucson, Arizona at our uh, from our campus, our church campus, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. There are multiple ways that you can uh, join us in this dialogue. You can, of course, just email us directly. And that email address is questionsforhope at gmail.com. So if you're listening in on the radio, uh, you'll be hearing this uh, message after the fact. And you'd like to have your questions answered, you can just use that email address. Uh, especially if you're someone who wants to ask a question maybe a little bit more discreetly, uh, make sure you notify us in the email. Please don't use my name or something like that uh, if that is the case. <clears throat> but you can email us your questions, and we track those throughout the broadcast every day. So if an email pops in that day, we'll try to get to that question on that day's broadcast. You can also just join us on the live stream. If you go to our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash CCF Tucson, you can join the live stream, use the comment section to ask your questions. You can also just go to Facebook and search for our page by looking for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. Uh, we also simultaneously live stream to YouTube. So if you go to youtube.com and search for A Reason for Hope, or you can go straight to our channel, youtube.com forward slash the at symbol A Reason for Hope with the number four for four. And uh, lastly, if you want to watch our live stream but want to avoid social media, platforms all together. I, I, I do know some friends uh, who just say, I don't have a Facebook page and I don't like going to YouTube. Okay. Well, we archive all our messages on Rumble, but you can also go to our website. That's calvarychristianfellowship.com. Hit, hit the uh, watch live tab and you can watch the live stream that way. And there's also a little comment box, little prayer button. If you want to ask us to pray for you in a particular area of your life that you would like to have lift it up in prayer, then you can take advantage of that. I <clears throat> also want to encourage you, if you are a part of our community, to download the CCF app. That's right, we have an app. And uh, you can download that from the Apple or Google Play Store. This app not only has a digital Bible built into it, but it allows you to uh, create a reading plan to go through and read the Bible, let's say, in a year. You can highlight texts. It'll it'll track your highlights. You can leave notes. You can leave sermon notes on a particular passage. Really handy tool. If you don't happen to have your Bible handy on a particular Sunday, you can take advantage of the app and do that. You can join and create chat groups. 
track uh, what's going on in our fellowship through the events. You can give, you can <clears throat> go through our sermon archives and go through past messages. So I'd encourage you to check that out. We also have the ability to live stream our services to any of the Amazon Fire or Roku smart devices. So if you have a Roku or an Amazon Fire Stick or something like that, you can just simply add our channel to your listing and you can watch our services, including this program, Reason for Hope. So I'd encourage you to take advantage of that if you haven't. Last but not least, I'd encourage you to follow our senior pastor on the X platform, formerly Twitter, and you can do so by uh, searching for his handle at scottr4h, and you'll find him there. You can follow him. You can also ask questions for this program there. Just tweet out your question, and we'll catch that during the broadcast. And if we don't get to your questions, we keep a log, and if we don't get to it today, we'll get to it the next day. We track them, and so if you miss, if you ask a question today and you and it didn't get to it, uh, then we'll try to get to it tomorrow. So please tune in again, and we'll do that. Before we get to your questions, we'll take a moment to pray and do a very important prophecy update. All right, let's do that. Father, I thank you that we have this opportunity to be able to spend time in your presence here. And Lord, before we launch in, we just want to take a deep breath and uh, remember that you have promised you will never leave us and never forsake us. Uh, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, and you will keep in perfect peace the one whose mind has stayed on you because he trusts in you. Father, so many distressing things, uh, so many uh, discouraging things, but the one truth that we can stand upon is this. Uh, you will never leave us and never forsake us. And we thank you, Lord, for that constant comfort that we have, that uh, you have seen uh, challenging times like these come and go, and you remain the same, and that you are the good shepherd of those of us who are part of your flock. I pray for those who aren't, uh, that maybe uh, are look, listening into this broadcast or uh, watching us online, who are on the outside in looking at a love relationship with you. I pray you'd speak deeply to their hearts. Uh, show them that uh, the emptiness they feel inside, that, that nagging sense that all is not well, is you, through your Spirit, beckoning them to uh, come into your forever family. And they can do so by simply putting their faith and trust in what Jesus did for them, dying on the cross for their sins and rising from the dead in a moment of history so they could have life. I pray you'd make that truth abundantly real, not because of um, any sophisticated presentation or human sophistry, but because your spirit has spoken. And God, I can't think of anything better to pray for than that. Guide us, direct us, help us, Lord, uh, to speak where your word speaks and remain silent where it's silent, uh, knowing that your word uh, is uh, sufficient to accomplish every good and, and perfect plan that you have for our lives. Thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you, uh, Scott. And uh, let just uh, if you can leave a comment, um, someone said they weren't able to hear. I don't know if it's maybe your own device, but I'm, I'm seeing green across the board, so it seems like we're good on this end. So if you wouldn't mind uh, anyone else who could just comment and say if you're having a hard time hearing us, uh, just leave a comment and I'll double check. But uh, we will proceed as if what we're seeing here is correct. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I certainly hope uh, that uh, the message is, is getting out. Uh, boy, uh, you want to talk about uh, wars and rumors of wars. We've talked about how uh, this uh, conflict that started uh, on October 7th uh, with a massacre of uh, 1,400 uh, Israeli uh, citizens uh, butchered by the uh, terrorists in Hamas. 
has uh, begin, begun to uh, grow not just into a Middle Eastern conflict, which is always uh, something that is very important for us to understand prophetically, but has, uh, there is no doubt, uh, grown into a regional conflict. Now, we've told you quite a bit about the Houthi rebels uh, in Yemen, a uh, wholly owned terrorist subsidiary of Iran that seemingly at the beginning had a minor part to play uh, in this conflict. Uh, they would lob the occasional uh, ballistic missile or aim a drone up the Red Sea towards uh, southern Israel, especially the resort city of Elat. Uh, you know, again, it just seemed uh, like uh, kind of a, hey, we're in this too, we're doing our part. Uh, but uh, as we've seen, the Houthi rebels have expanded uh, their operations uh, in a very crucial part of the world economically. Uh, the uh, gulf that leads into the Red Sea and up into the Suez Canal, where over 15% of world commerce uh, trades, especially oil coming out of the, the uh, Straits of Hormuz and other places along this line. Uh, and uh, over the weekend, uh, they actually uh, launched a missile at and sank a British registry tanker uh, in the, uh, the gulf just off of Yemen, uh, which is... Pretty amazing because uh, we have been told uh, that there is this uh, wonderful coalition of, uh, of nations that have come together to put an end to all of this. Uh, doesn't seem to be putting a dent in what the Houthis want to do. Uh, maybe the most disturbing, and that's a pretty distressing development right there, but uh, the most distressing development uh, happened uh, yesterday. A suicide drone uh, was launched at the Kitab, uh, I should say, at the Al-Tamf uh, Air Force Base in Jordan, of all places. This is not in Syria or in Iraq, but in the uh, nation of Jordan. Uh, it uh, was an effective strike. Uh, three soldiers, uh, U.S. soldiers have dead. Over 40 uh, are injured, and we're really not sure how serious those injuries are. But uh, uh, perhaps the most troubling development that we've seen, Amir Serfati on his uh, Telegram page, and if uh, you haven't subscribed uh, to Amir, you can follow him on uh, Telegram. I think you can also uh, uh, follow him on uh, his own uh, page uh, online. But uh, uh, Amir reports uh, that uh, the air defense systems at this particular base were not activated because the assumption that this suicide drone uh, was was that it was a U.S. drone that was getting back from a mission. Uh, there's a number of possibilities as to why that happened. One of them was that it was a new type of Iranian-made drone and uh, wasn't identified as an enemy drone because of a different kind of configuration. The other possibility is that uh, the Iranians have come up with some kind of a technology that allowed... Uh, this drone to, in a sense, spook the air defense systems at uh, this particular base and uh, represent it as an American drone coming back when in reality it was a uh, drone that was uh, intended to do uh, destruction. Uh, Sergeant uh, uh, William Jerome Rivers of Carrollton, Georgia, uh, SPC Kennedy Layden Sanders of uh, Georgia, and SPC Brianna Alexandria Moffat 
of Savannah, Georgia, all uh, lost their lives in this attack. And as we said, we don't know the condition of the other uh, Americans uh, who lost their lives. The Pentagon responded to this uh, with a statement, we will not disclose the nature of our response to the attacks directed at our forces, but we consider Iran responsible for them. We will respond at a time and a place that suits us. Now, right before airtime, there was a report uh, that was broadcast on CNN that President Biden is considering launching attacks on Iranian soil after meeting with his senior intelligence and security officials in his uh, cabinet. Uh, and uh, again, uh, explosions have been heard in uh, Yemen. Apparently, uh, American attacks are taking place on that particular spot. Uh, but as far as the Iran uh, situation is concerned, uh, on the hill.com uh, website, uh, we read this, the killing of th uh, three U.S. troops in Jordan by a drone strike carried out by Iranian-backed militant groups has added kindling to what is already a volatile situation in the Middle East, increasing pressure on President Biden to send a message to leaders in Tehran. It has left the White House facing a difficult balancing act of responding to Iran in ways that will deter future acts without triggering a wider conflict, something the Biden administration has been adamant about avoiding since the start of the Israel-Hamas war. Uh, the attack in Jordan marked the first time that U.S. service members had been killed in the Middle East since the war in Gaza began in October, adding a new layer of complexity uh, for the White House. Uh, again, uh, National Security Spokesman John Kirby told reporters on Monday, we do not seek another war, we do not seek to escalate, but we will absolutely do what is required to protect ourselves and to respond appropriately to these attacks. Uh, Biden himself has pledged to respond in a time and a matter of our choosing. Uh, he has met with members of his national security team, including National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan and Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin. Uh, Kirby emphasized the United States doesn't want to attack Iran, uh, but when asked if Biden was considering a strike inside the country, he would not say whether or not it was on uh, the table. Uh, again, Kirby said the attack over the weekend was escalatory. Make no mistake about that, and it requires a response. Make no res mistake about that. I will not get ahead of the president's decision-making. Uh, since uh, the war began, American troops have come under fire from Iranian-backed groups more than 160 times uh, without much of a response on our part. Uh, the, the one thing that uh, you discover in this particular conflict is that uh, the only thing that, uh, say, the, the mad mullahs in Tehran will respect is a show of force. Uh, they do not tend to say, well, you know, we, you know, if you really want to be a part of the uh, family of nations, you, you've got to uh, learn to play uh, nice with other people. All that does is embolden them, and this is an incredibly bold strike uh, on on their behalf. Uh, even the Hill, which has, generally speaking, been pro-Biden administration in uh, their coverage, uh, said that uh, although the White House has in recent weeks launched precision strikes targeting Iranian-backed militia targets and struck back against the Iranian-backed Houthis in, in Yemen, uh, the death of U.S. troops will increase the stakes for Biden, particularly uh, among Republican defense hawks in Congress who are already calling for a retaliation, including inside Iran. So, uh, you know, again, uh, there are different takes on both sides. The U.S. 
according to some, will likely refrain from targeting uh, Iranian soil. But uh, the problem is uh, that you've gotten to a point uh, where you have uh, three American casualties. And if you don't respond at this particular point in a way that's going to be particularly painful uh, for the Iranians, um, you know, you're just going to see more of the same or the stakes are going to get even higher. We've seen that with the Houthi rebels uh, and so on. Uh, former President uh, Trump, Biden's uh, likely GOP uh, rival in November, was asked about it. He blamed the attack on Biden's weakness and claimed the U.S. was on the brink of World War III. Uh, Republican lawmakers similarly piled on. This is the Hill. I said it's very pro-Biden. You can see that uh, the kind of rhetoric about the Republican response would uh, uh, respond to that, ribbing the White House for failing to hold Iran accountable and urging uh, Biden to take swift and decisive action in response. Uh, Iran has denied direct involvement in the attack, claiming it does not issue direct orders to militia groups. <laughs> If you believe that, uh, you believe uh, that uh, a noted politician actually has a 187 IQ, as was announced today. Oh. 187. By the way, Albert Einstein, they estimated he had a 160. Oh, so wow. any politician who claims to have a 187 IQ, well, your mileage may vary. But uh, <laughs> the, the, the bottom line uh, is this. Um you know, they know that it is definitely an Iranian-backed militia. Uh, it doesn't uh, take real genius to figure out what Iran's strategy is here. If we can figure it out here on a reason for hope uh, that, uh, again, as Israel has said, uh, Iran is the head of the octopus. The various militias that are attacking and doing their dirty work are like the tentacles, uh, whether that's Hamas. Uh, in Gaza, whether it's uh, the Houthi rebels in Yemen, whether it's these various uh, Iranian-backed militia groups uh, operating in Syria and Iraq, uh, we essentially know uh, where all this is coming uh, from. And uh, again, uh, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel, has uh, repeatedly said that unless uh, you go for the head in all of this, dealing with the tentacles is... Uh, kind of a waste of time. Uh, again, uh, speaking of a tentacle, uh, the engagement between Israel and Hezbollah in uh, Lebanon is increasing. There have been a number of targeted strikes that have taken out very senior members of the Iranian Republic Guard Corps that are there in Lebanon, essentially calling the shots for Hezbollah. And uh, it, they're also very active in Syria as well. Uh, over the weekend, uh, a number of them were taken out in targeted strikes conducted by Israel. Israel making uh, serious progress in Khan Yonis, which is uh, the capital, uh, the epicenter, if you will, of uh, Hamas command and control in Gaza. Uh, and uh, speaking of Gaza, uh, you may have heard this over the weekend, but the United Nations... Relief Works Agency, UNRWA, uh, that has uh, been very deeply involved. It's literally the pipeline for all the humanitarian aid, quote-unquote, that goes into Gaza. Over the weekend, it was announced uh, by Israeli intelligence and confirmed by our own State Department as well as intelligence agencies in Europe that 12 full-time employees of the United Nations Relief Workers Agency were directly involved in the slaughter 
of Israelis on October 7th, 12 of them. Uh, it has now been revealed that uh, the roster of individuals that uh, draw paychecks from UNRWA uh, is literally uh, loaded uh, with individuals that uh, essentially either work for Hamas or are direct relatives of those who work for Hamas. So awful were these revelations that one of the revelations that came out was UNRWA workers actively took place in hiding and transporting hostages so that Israel could not rescue them during this operation. As a result of this, there has been a landslide of withdrawal of financial support for UNRWA in Gaza. Uh, they have lost over a billion, with a B, uh, dollars worth of support. The United States uh, canceling their support, at least uh, putting on temporary hiatus. Even the EU has followed suit in terms of uh, no longer funding uh, this uh, organization, which in essence has been a uh, cover for terrorist wow. operations. Uh, you know, they provide uh, schooling, UNRWA schools. Uh, it has been revealed that uh, the curriculum in these schools includes uh, training young uh, Gazans uh, for jihad, uh, instructing them that uh, Jews are the enemy, teaching them anti-Semitism that would uh, make your hair curl. And uh, as, as a result of this, uh, UNRWA uh, appears uh, to have at least temporarily uh, received a huge financial blow. The cynic in me uh, tends to think that this will be a temporary cessation, not a cancellation mm -hmm. that is going on here. But uh, to uh, be able to say that your tax dollars, in essence, paid the salaries of individuals uh, that uh, conducted the slaughter of uh, innocent people on October 7th, that's a very hard pill to swallow. So uh, UNRWA, uh, temporarily uh, short of funds, uh, humanitarian aid halted. Uh, in fact, uh, Israelis appear to be taking things into their own hands. A number of Israelis, kind of like the, uh, the trucker demonstrations that we have seen uh, in Canada and here in the United States, uh, apparently there's going to be a trucker demonstration at our southern border showing support uh, for uh, Texas Governor Abbott's mm. decision. Uh, not to allow uh, the uh, feds to come in and take out the uh, razor wire. Uh, that's going on. Well, the same thing is going on uh, in Israel. There is a uh, trucker blockade that apparently has been put into place to block any kind of uh, United Nations humanitarian aid going into Gaza. Wow. Uh, so uh, very, very interesting mm. developments indeed. What will the United States do? Well, uh, the last uh, report that I was able to, uh, to see before we went on the air is that apparently uh, President Biden may address the nation tonight regarding the next step that is going to happen or uh, in the aftermath of steps that have been taken, which may actually include attacks on Iranian soil. Mm. So why is that so significant? Well, you know, we were talking about the potential of a world war getting going. Uh, you have to realize that uh, in the last uh, couple of weeks, uh, Vladimir Putin has visited Turkey. Uh, the Iranian mullahs have also visited Turkey, and Turkey has indicated that they will support 
uh, Iran 100% in uh, their efforts to eliminate uh, the Jewish state. Uh, definitely a, a sea change as far as uh, Turkey's desire to be accepted by the West. And remember, Turkey is still a NATO member. Uh, how long that's going to continue with these overtures toward Vladimir Putin, towards uh, the Iranians, uh, we don't know. But we do know biblically that as far as Ezekiel 37 and 38, or I should say 38 and 39 are concerned, the Gog and Magog invasion is going to involve definitely Russia, definitely Iran, and definitely Turkey, uh, along with uh, a number of other allies that are going to try to wipe out Israel once and for all. So that does appear to be moving in that particular direction. Uh, you know, we attack Iran on Iranian soil. Uh, remember something, China has been cozying up to Iran. Russia and Iran are joined at the hip. We've talked a little bit about how that hooks in the jaw uh, illustration uh, that God uses in Ezekiel 38, uh, drawing uh, Russia into this alliance uh, with Iran uh, in order to stave off the attacks of the Chechen rebels that were devastating the country. Uh, you know, we see that there's going to be uh, probably some kind of a response, some kind of a reaction from, say, Russia, from China, from Turkey, as a result of the United States maybe taking that step of hitting targets on Iranians and on Iranian soil. So uh, the the uh, amazing thing is this: once again, Israel is the straw that stirs the drink for the entire world. A conflict there has literally global implications. Uh, and so, uh, if we're talking about some of these uh, superpowers getting involved, we're talking about this coalition of nations. Uh, including India now, that are there to uh, deal with the Houthis uh, down in the southern part of the Saudi Arabian Peninsula. I think we can definitely and decidedly say this has not just become a regional war. Uh, this could literally bring all of the superpowers hmm. in one way or another into this particular conflict. Uh, whether it becomes a global war like World War II was, uh, or not, uh, we really can't tell at this particular time. My general take is that this conflict will continue to grow and continue to spiral and uh, continue to frighten people with the possibility of a world war happening, all the more setting the stage for the hunger and thirst for people all over the world for someone that can bring prosperity and peace. And that individual, uh, the Bible predicts, will be the Antichrist, at least at the beginning. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we know the Antichrist can't reveal himself as such until we in the church are snatched out at the time of the rapture. The one who restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way, according to Second Thessalonians chapter mm -hmm. 2. So um, as uh, our good friend Joel Rosenberg often says about these things, if you're in a situation where you're planning a major sin in your life, I would definitely put it off because Jesus could come at any moment. Hmm. I mean, obviously he can come at any time, but uh, the counterbalancing thing is, uh, remember uh, Jesus said, well, they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come upon them. And it'll be like the days of Noah, buying, selling, uh, marrying, giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and then sudden destruction is going to fall. So the likely scenario, I believe, is that we're going to see this build up to a fever pitch 
It's going to calm down again. People are going to breathe a sigh of relief at that point, maybe during one of these lulls. Uh, that could very well be when the rapture happens, although the Lord reserves mm. the right to come at any time. So, mm. Well, keep praying for the people, the nation of Israel. Pray for our leaders. And um, pray for the church that we would continue to be bold witnesses, especially in our secular culture, <clears throat> where it appears we've become more uh, silent and less willing to step out and speak boldly out of fear that we will offend someone. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, there's just a number of um, uh, you know, there's a number of other things we could get into. Uh, uh, Elon Musk. Uh, announcing on his platform mm. X uh, that a uh, computerized implant into a human brain, that surgery has taken place and that uh, the patient receiving this computerized uh, implant uh, that would directly interface with the brain uh, is doing well in recovery. Uh, you know, again, you know, prophetically, what does that mean? Hmm. Um, we can't really be sure, but uh, the, the bottom line is whenever man has gotten too big for his britches, trying to exercise godlike uh, privileges and prerogatives, it seems like the Lord always goes thus far and no farther. Just ask the uh, crowd at the Tower of Babel. Yeah, right. So a uh, very uh, interesting uh, situation uh, that is going on with all of that. I don't know if that's directly prophetic. Uh, some people would try to tie it into, say, uh, the mark of the beast. Um, you know, the the bottom line though is if you can get everybody not just having a little cell phone they hold and carry around with them, if you can sell people on the idea, well, wouldn't you like it if you never lost your cell phone again? <laughs> I lose mine all the time, but, uh, you know, this way it's just right there and, yeah. uh, you know, there's, there's no problem. I'm not sure we're quite ready for all of that in that, uh, the repeated attempts to sell the, uh, kind of the, uh, Apple goggles and mm -hmm. the Google glasses and things like that just haven't taken off the way, uh, they've, uh, anticipated but uh, we definitely live in an interconnected world. I think that we can see, mm -hmm. and that certainly does jibe very nicely with the interconnected world described in Revelation chapter 13, and uh, a way to make sure that everyone in the world participates in the system, and that mm -hmm. those who don't are gonna be very easily identified and uh, persecuted, persuaded, uh, or eliminated. Mm -hmm. So uh, that is definitely setting the stage for the future. Well, it's interesting how the Canadian Supreme Court ruled that it was incorrect and unconstitutional and unfounded for what the prime minister did in locking down the trucker protests and seizing their bank accounts, that sort of thing. And that's kind of nice that that, I mean, this is a good turn of events, but just the fact that a government can do that, you know, you have these truckers just protesting these mandates and then they just shut down their bank accounts. So can you imagine if you say, well, no, I don't want the mark. Uh, how easy it would be to control the entire global economy and people's lives that way. So it's it's not a far-fetched idea. Yeah. Not yeah. at all. Yeah. So there you go. Well, thank you, Pastor Scott, and uh, hope you were um, brought sober 
<laughs> of that. Uh, well, uh, Guy wants to know the beast of the sea and the beast of the earth. I heard there could have been more beasts, beast of the air, outer space, etc. But these beasts have been defeated by the prayers of the saints through this. Uh, thoughts on this. Uh, so, are there other beasts? And uh, the idea is it biblical to think that there are beasts of the air and so on that have been defeated by the prayers of the saints? Uh, is that a biblical concept or well it's certainly uh the stuff of science fiction um you know again i've seen uh, various iterations of uh, end times last days movies that have had uh, very interesting twists and turns on mm -hmm. uh, the possibilities of uh of biblical prophecy but gee i think whenever uh we are dealing with uh, an issue in the scripture uh, we should speak where the scripture speaks and where the scripture is silent, we just have to be silent. Uh, you know, in the book of Revelation chapter 13, when uh, we are told about the image of these beasts, uh, first of all, we need to understand that uh, this is uh, definitely something that has uh, been uh, presaged for us uh, in the book of Daniel. Uh, Daniel talked about seeing various world-dominating empires as a series of beasts. Uh, again, we, you know, there was one uh, that resembled a bear. There was, uh, again, another that represented a, a leopard, the, the, uh, the rapidity of which uh, the Grecian Empire dominated the world, the, Medo, the, uh, the Persian Empire then divvying up into the Medo-Persian Empire, so on. Uh, you know, when uh, we see these things uh, being used in Scripture, uh, you know, it's very helpful uh, because uh, when we come to Revelation chapter 13, this gives us perspective. Uh, each and every one of these world-dominating empires, or at least uh, world-dominating empires that had a direct impact upon the life of Israel, uh, each of them are referred to as beast-like. In other words, wild, out of control, in a sense almost hmm. subhuman. Uh, and in Revelation 13, we are told, uh, after a series of descriptions of uh, beastie-like creatures, uh, for instance, a dragon uh, that, uh, uh, again, uh, comes on the scene that represents Satan. We are clearly told that that represents Satan in Revelation chapter 12. Uh, we are told that the dragon was enraged with a woman. The woman is very clearly Israel, described uh, in, in the very same way that Joseph saw Israel in his uh, prophecies that, uh, that he describes in the book of Genesis chapter 37. Uh, and it says, I stood on the sand of the sea, and yet I saw, a, and, and then I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his head a blasphemous name. Now, the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. Again, going right back to the book of Daniel and Daniel's vision. The dragon, which is Satan, gave him power, his throne, and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshipped the dragon who gave, the beast, uh, gave authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like the beast and who is able to make war with him. So there we see a last day's world-dominating empire described in a beastly way with the seven heads and ten horns. But there is going to be one individual who is going to represent or be the epitome of it, and that is 
the individual referred to in other places in Scripture as the Antichrist, the one who receives the mortal head wound that is miraculously healed. He was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Then he opened his mouth to blaspheme against God, to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who uh, dwell in heaven. In other words, this beast is going to come up with a great uh, explanation as to uh, why the rapture uh, took place. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and overcome them, and authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, and the name and the, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And, uh, and then it says, I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke like a dragon. He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell out to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs so that even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling them to those who dwell on the earth to make an image of the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. Uh, then he goes on and he gives life and breath to this image of the beast, uh, says that those who worship the beast, uh, who won't worship the beast will be killed, uh, institutes a worldwide economic system based upon the uh, number 666 at that point. But uh, I guess, Guy, to get back to uh, your question here, we see no hint in this passage of other beasts like a beast of the air or a beast from outer space. Uh, the Bible is absolutely silent on that. Could there be such a thing in the spiritual realm? We have no idea. But when it comes to these sort of things, and, and if I can give you just a, a, a friendly word of exhortation, uh, you know, <laughs> Paul uh, gave a, a great piece of advice to the church at Corinth where he said, I've written you these things that you might not go beyond that which is written. Uh, there's a lot of people out there uh, that talk about the unseen realm and start focusing in on principalities and powers to the point where they think they can identify the names of them and, and what Satan is doing and how he is going about his, uh, his business in uh, this world. You know, the, the bottom line is we just don't see anything along that line. The, the only thing that would come close to what you might be intimating here is in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, Satan is called the prince of the power of the air. Uh, and, uh, you know, that, that's uh, another example of the fact uh, that uh, Satan works in the spiritual realm. That's probably the best way to take it. It's not that Satan's the guy that spins hurricanes in a certain direction or, you know, controls uh, the isobars in the atmosphere. Uh, it's probably just a, another picture of the fact that Satan is a spiritual entity. He's a fallen angel of great power. Uh, he is uh, actively involved in leading people astray and does his best work through false doctrine. One of the ways I think Satan can get a foothold in our lives as far as false doctrine is concerned sometimes can be errors of enthusiasm. You know, where we get excited about studying biblical prophecy, we see the beast from the sea, we see the beast from the earth, and then we start in a sense, using our sanctified imagination to ask questions like, well, couldn't it be there a beast from outer space? And could there be a beast from, you know, somewhere else? And uh, perhaps our prayers have defeated these other beasts. So only these two beasts got through. Well, you know, who knows? I, 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 you can't prove a negative, obviously. 
Uh, but there is no example in Scripture uh, in even hinting at something like that uh, being the case. Uh, you really have to make a few uh, leaps and bounds to get to a place like that. And so I have found over the years, and, and it's something that uh, I really try to keep in mind when I'm teaching through prophetic passages or even uh, answering prophecy questions on this program, um, not to get involved with things like newspaper eschatology. Mm-hmm. You know, with all that's going on in the world right now, uh, there are those who will say, well, you know, if you take a look at this passage, you know, in, in the book of Hosea and kind of turn on its head, then you can see what's happening here in Gaza or Ashkelon or some of these other places like this. Um, no. You know, it, it just it just doesn't fit. You know, if you can, you can try to fold, spindle, and mutilate these things into something that fits, but it just doesn't seem... Uh, to to fit the puzzle, if you will, uh, and so we try to stay away from that as much as we can. You know, not every event that goes on, not everything that happens in Israel, for that matter, that goes on, is directly prophetically significant. Although Israel being back in the land is incredibly prophetically significant, so we have to have a balance there. Uh, I, I see two equal and opposite errors. Some people go so far that everything prophetically, uh, everything that's going on is prophetic, and boy, you can uh, find it some scripture in the Word to justify that. Uh, you know, I think sometimes you end up doing damage to the text when you do that. We've got to be careful not to do that. But on the other side of the coin, we shouldn't be reactive to those who go too far, if you will, go beyond what is written, so that, uh, you know, for instance, we deny that there's a spiritual realm, or we deny the fact that there's a spiritual battle going on for the hearts and minds and lives of individuals, that we deny that we should be praying, uh, you know, again, and uh, putting on the full armor of God every day so we can take our stand in these evil days and having done all to stand. So let's have balance in all of that. Uh, Let's uh, let the scripture speak where it speaks and uh, not uh, get into the realm of uh, speculation, no matter how well-intended, where the scripture simply doesn't say something about a particular issue. Yeah, thanks for the question, Guy, and uh, thank you, Pastor Scott, for that um, insightful understanding of what we're seeing there. And uh, <clears throat> speaking of not going beyond what is written... <laughs> oh boy, I can't wait! <laughs> this will be fun. Uh, are there any specific passages that discredit the prosperity gospel? Uh, our questioner says that Matthew 19.24 comes to mind... I'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, thank you, T Town Street Man, Treatment Man. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> you know what my go-to is on that? Hmm. Um, you know the prosperity gospel. You know you, you hear. You know God wants to bless you. Yeah. You know. Uh, you know. I think about uh, the prayer of Jabez. Uh, you know, it's not just a best-selling book, but in First Chronicles chapter four, there was really a guy named Jabez. His name literally meant pain, uh, who was different than the rest of his brothers. In fact, he deserves a little mention in this sea of genealogies that a lot of us like to skip over. And he prayed a really interesting prayer. He said, he prayed to the Lord, oh, that you would bless me indeed, uh, that uh, you would enlarge my territory, that your hand would be upon me, that you would keep me from evil, that I might not cause pain. And uh, we were told that God answered his request. 
Uh, now, um, you know, there's a best-selling book that was written called The Prayer of Jabez. A lot of people got into praying the Jabez prayer. And, you know, I think if you take it as sort of a, a template, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But a lot of people in the prosperity uh, gospel will say, oh, that you would bless me indeed. Okay, mm-hmm. let's just take that part of it, you know, expand my territory and, and so on. Your hand of blessing would be upon me. I'll be the head, not the tail, the lender, not the borrower. None of these diseases will come near you and you'll have perfect wealth and maximum health and, and, and you know, everything along that line. I can only wish that were true. But here's the big problem. We take a look at the message of the prosperity gospel. You can have your best life now. If you believe God, then God's going to give you that dream house. Then God's going to give you, uh, you know, the, the money to be able to not just pay your bills, but, uh, you know, to be a blessing to other people. And uh, that we evaluate our spirituality based upon these things, that you never have to be sick again. Claim Isaiah 53 mm-hmm. and verse 5, uh, by his stripes we are healed. Uh, you know, I know that I don't have to be sick ever again. Oh, if only these things were true. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and it's an interesting theory, okay? Does God uh, never want to have difficulty or challenges come into our lives? Well, you know, it's an interesting thesis, but we got to check it out according to the clear teaching of God's Word. And from my mind, uh, the one passage that absolutely sinks the ship of, you know, this very well-intentioned, I think, uh, but essentially wrong-headed kind of a doctrine uh, is found in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, the apostle Paul wrote there, and lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. So, you know, here we see the Apostle Paul. You know, I would say the Apostle Paul had a pretty tight relationship with God uh, Jesus was the one who personally taught him what the gospel was all about. It was confirmed by the apostles uh, afterwards uh, at uh, various junctures. For instance, when uh, Paul goes to Corinth in the book of Acts, we're told that Jesus stood beside him one night and said, keep speaking, Paul, don't be afraid. I have many people in this city. Uh, this is a guy who was really tight with the Lord, right? Uh, it'd be hard to criticize the spirituality of the apostle Paul. And look what God does. Here's a guy who had tremendous faith, and yet, and yet, he had a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet him. The word thorn there, I I think, kind of undersells what this is in the original language. It literally can be something that describes a tent stake. Uh, There are those who believe that what Paul was speaking about was also what he hinted at in the book of Galatians, that he came to Galatia, the region that he was in, because of an infirmity. He goes on and he makes a statement that uh, the Galatians loved him so much they would have taken out their own eyes and given them to him if it would have helped him. So there are those who really uh, believe from this that uh, the Apostle Paul suffered from a disease of the eyes, 
And boy, if you've ever had a uh, wandering piece of dust get under your contact lenses, you know how sensitive your eyes can actually be. So Paul asks the Lord three different times to take it away. And three different times, what's God's answer? No, I'm not going to take away. Why? Because my grace is made perfect in weakness. Hmm. Um, You know, we tend to view prosperity through a very materialistic Mm-hmm. sort of a lens. Um, you know, we were talking uh, yesterday in the book of Acts chapter 17, how Paul in Athens was dealing with three kinds of people that are still are, are alive and kicking and, and, uh, and people believe these philosophies, whether they understand them or not. Uh, there were the Epicureans who uh, believed that the gods weren't really involved in our lives at all, if they even existed. So you might as well live like a hog till you die like a dog. That was their philosophy, that pleasure and feeling good is the ultimate good in life. Then there were the Stoics, who believe there are all kinds of gods out there, but the gods couldn't be trusted. They were just, you get them on a bad day, a bad mood, they're really going to uh, let you have it. Uh, And so you offer them sacrifices, you live this incredibly disciplined life, uh, in the sense that they'll leave you alone then. You don't want the gods involved uh, with your life too much, and that's why you do all of these things, because there's a god out there, and he's got a lightning bolt with your name on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there were the materialists. Uh, there were individuals that believed that the, the whole goal of life was prosperity and uh, showing signs that you've prospered and so on. And it's so funny, uh, at Mars Hill, Paul deals with all of these things. He talks about how God doesn't live in a temple made with hands. The Parthenon, for goodness sake. You know, this 22,000 ton of marble edifice uh, is standing right there. He goes, God doesn't dwell in a house like that. He's too big for all of that. Even Solomon admitted that, you know. God said, you know, heaven's my throne, uh, earth's my footstool. Where are you going to build a house for me? He tells him that. Materialism is a dead end. You know, the people who say, get all you get. Uh, get all you get, uh, can all you get, and then sit on the can. Uh, their, their goal in life uh, just doesn't lead you anywhere. But there's also Epicureans out there. And sometimes these Epicureans uh, will, will say, uh, well, if God loves me, he'll make me feel good. The materials will say, if God loves me, he's going to prosper me materially. The Epicureans will say, if there's a God out there, he's going to make me feel good. And I think that's what pulls a lot of people into the faith movement. That the good is what makes me feel good in the moment, not necessarily what is best for me for eternity, but what makes me feel good in the moment. And then you have the Stoics. Uh, they're kind of the reaction to all of this. Who say, who say, well, you know, you can't really trust God, and so just uh, keep a stiff upper lip and schlep your way through life, and you know, hopefully it's all going to work out well uh, for you when you finally get to heaven. Uh, but you know, make all these sacrifices and show God how sincere you are and. You know, maybe he's not going to make a wreck and ruin of your life. Well, you know, these days in the church, it's so funny. I run into these uh, Stoics who are kind of cessationists. They say that God doesn't really get involved with the lives of his people and bless them. That's not true. God gives good and perfect gifts to his people. God's going to meet all your needs according to his riches and glory. Notice he says needs, not greeds. And then I run into Epicureans. They're frustrated and they're upset and they think they're doing something wrong because they don't feel good all the time, that there are still problems and troubles and illnesses and relationship squabbles in their life. 
And uh, if the goal of life is feeling good, well, then I must be doing it wrong. Well, that's where the faith movement stuff mm-hmm. comes in. can really set you up for a fall. You know, and materialists get caught up in that as well. If my, you know, I'm the lender and not the, the borrower, well, then God's blessed me. But I think we all know people who have a ton of money but no happiness. So God wants us to have a deeper relationship with him than that. And that's what Paul describes here in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. Uh, I will say uh, on the benefit of those who are involved with the faith movement, because I was involved with that early on in my walk with God, you can learn something from these folks in that uh, they actually really believe that God gets involved with the lives of his people. You know, and, and sometimes I think those of us that are reacting to the faith movement, we're just like, well, you know, I imagine God will bless me once I get to heaven. Mm-hmm. Well, God wants to do wonderful things in our lives. God wants to show us his mercies new mm-hmm. every morning. Now, he reserves the right to define what those mercies look like, you know, what we need instead of what our greeds might tell us. Uh, so we got to be careful. We got to ask myself, am I a materialist? Like those people at Athens, am I an Epicurean? You know, have I bought into this idea that uh, whatever's good is what makes me feel good in the moment? Not necessarily. Or am I a Stoic, where I'm just trying to do duck and cover and stay out of the way so this mean old God isn't going to ruin my life? <laughs> you don't want to fall into any of those things mm-hmm. because at Mars Hill, what Paul says is Jesus is far greater than all of that. Mm-hmm. What God has for you is far greater than that. You're his offspring, you're his child. He's going to treat you just like a loving father does mm. his child. And that's the best relationship we can have with God. And, you know, the, the problem with people that let the prosperity gospel and the faith movement go to seed is it reduces God to a vending machine or some kind of sugar daddy, not a loving father who knows what's right. And so bringing it back to that prayer of Jabez, we pray, oh, that you would bless me indeed. Nothing wrong with praying that as long as we let God decide what blessing indeed really is. Mm. Um, you know, we can ask God for anything, but we're to ask in Jesus name. What does that mean? It's not the open sesame, you know, just, well, I said in Jesus name, so God's got to do it. It means I'm praying like Jesus would, mm-hmm. you know, and remember in Gethsemane, how Jesus prayed, father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours yeah. be done. That's one of the hallmarks of the prosperity message. It's not God's will, it's my will be done. In fact, they mock people who say, well, the Lord wills. Yeah, they said that's a faith killer. Yeah, and that's the other thing about the whole movement is that they have reinvented the concept of faith. The granddaddy of the modern word of faith movement, uh, Kenyon, plagiarized much of his material. Yeah, E.W. Kenyon, yeah. And then, uh, of course, uh, Kenneth Hagin plagiarized those works, and uh, the movement was really borrowed from... Uh, a lot of New Age philosophy that was brought into redefining faith not as a relational dynamic between the believer and the object of the faith, which is God, because faith is only as good as the object that you put your faith in. Right. But they reinterpret faith as a force. In Having order, faith in your faith. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and that these words uh, are the containers of the fourth. And if you speak, whatever you speak, if you have faith in what you say, you can create a reality. And I remember one time a family member, I won't say which family member, uh, I said, well, if you loan so-and-so the car, knowing that they do drugs, I knew this, uh, they're going to wreck your car. Don't do that. Well, it happened. And guess what happened to me? It was my fault because I spoke it into existence. Oh. I used my deductive reasoning skills and I thought, well, 
knowing that person, they'll probably get into a car accident. Uh, but no, it was because I, I said that's going to happen, and I spoke it into reality hmm. because I believed it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, when you play a sport and they talk about visualization, I tend to believe visualization is kind of hooey because there's been times where I've been like playing golf and I just feel like, oh, man, I'm going to hit the greatest shot and I just drub it. And then there's times where like, oh, I'll never play golf again. I'm going to just bend all these clubs and throw them in the pond. And then the next shot's just as pure as it could possibly yeah. be. So, you yeah. know, how I feel about it, you know, probably doesn't have a whole lot to do yeah. about do with it. So, Well, some other passages that come to mind. What do you think of uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6? You know, he talks about how some say that godliness uh, is, a, is a means of financial gain. Yeah. And uh, Paul instructs Timothy uh, that this is uh, a false teaching, but that godliness with contentment is great gain, that... That being content is something, and he gives some warnings to the rich. As and, and then I think of Hebrews chapter twelve, where it says that every child undergoes discipline. Yeah, uh, that's not going to feel very good. <laughs> well, let's focus a sec on First Timothy chapter six. What has God promised us in First Timothy chapter six? Uh, it says, "Now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and certainly we can carry nothing out." Uh, never see a uh, hearse pulling a U-Haul as you hear yeah, in, in right. sermons. And uh, having f- food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Now, Paul's just said godliness with contentment is great gain. Now he describes our level of contentment. If you've got food and clothes, God has blessed you. That's what you can expect the Lord to provide for you. Uh, but notice this. But those who desire to be rich fall into a temptation and a snare and in many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in perdition. Uh, you know, if we have a roof over our head, if we have a clunker car, uh, we're blessed. We're rich. So maybe we need to redefine our ideas yeah. of richness. Well, thanks for your questions. God bless you. We'll see you tomorrow. God bless you. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.